Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. Now, there's no Gregor Robertson today, but fear not. We have some more than able replacements in the form of Alison Rudd, Tom Clark, and Jonathan Northcroft. Coming up, we're talking West Ham, midweek travel woes, and we're going to quiz our expert panel on Premier League goalkeepers. But first, we're looking at the state of England's defenders. All that to come after this. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So let's start with John Stones and what has gone wrong for him at Manchester City. The Times reported this week that Pep Guardiola wants two new central defenders this summer with Stones set to be pushed out the door. Alison, what do you think has happened to John Stones? Um, oh, wouldn't we all like to know? Mm. The real reason he's he's not quite fulfilled um, his early promise. First of all, he was at fault for the two goals conceded against Crystal Palace and when that was highlighted by the press a few weeks ago Pep said that's wrong to criticise him, it's not his fault but the way Pep phrased his defence of Stones was he has it it all, he has the ability so in a way he encapsulated he was was saying you know you can't have a go at one player for a couple of mistakes, everyone makes mistakes John Stones has great ability. That in itself tells you everything that Pep thinks about John Stones, which is I was not Pep was not wrong to spend nearly fifty million quid on him. He identified a player that does have some innate, great centre back ability, and if you're part of a Man City team, that involves being very good with the ball at your feet and being an intelligent passer and distributor of the ball and making snap decisions that are intelligent, not of the hoof variety. He's sort of, he's sort of saying, I know it's there inside. It's but I've I've done my best. The club's done their best. It's down to him to find a way to translate that into the caliber of defender we expect at this club. So don't have a go at him for making a mistake that anyone anyone could make. Even someone at the peak of their aura and form would make. But at the same time, you, you sort of do feel it's the end of the road, perhaps, for, for Stones at City, because what they thought they were buying just hasn't emerged. And I think it's partly a huge risk when you take someone on who's young, because he, he looks the part, he's athletic and he's tall, and he looks like someone who could be commanding, but that just doesn't come from being athletic and tall. You have to have the personality to be commanding. I don't think, for example, what Virgil van Dijk possesses is teachable. So Virgil looks the part, but he he just has this. He does actually have a, a way of commanding space. 
And it's got to the point now where uh, opposition teams, when they're playing Liverpool, they don't talk so much about the pace of Mo Salah. They talk about, let's not let Virgil clear the ball. I mean, imagine that you've got to the point where you're worrying about what you'll do at a corner where you're attacking, which defender's going to head it out. Do not let it be Virgil van Dijk, because not only will he get there before anyone that you own will get there, he'll do something very clever with it. So, that, but that, I don't think you can teach that. That's something you have or you don't have, because you, you, just, you just take over the agenda. And Stones, I just, I just think possibly he was a year too young or too much was written about him and said about him, and he's found it, he's found it difficult to... to to, to reach that level that people thought he should be at. Jonathan, if Pep is picking Nicholas Otamendi, which he seems to be doing right now over Stones, that in itself is, is pretty damning. Yeah, that's, 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 that's um, apart from maybe sticking David Luiz or somebody in, in front of you, it's, um, it's about as big a comment as it gets. Mm. I mean, you know, he's effectively been playing a midfielder and um, Otamendi at times this season instead of Stones. Um, I listened with interest to what Ali was saying and agreed with a lot of it, that we're talking about, especially when it comes to defending, um, a position where you're required to do more than just you know instinctively use ability. It's about decision-making, much of football, much of top-level sports about decision-making, but particularly playing in central defence in the Premier League. It's about personality uh, and it's about steadiness and calm. And um, Those are the things that John Stones hasn't, developed as he's moved into his 20s um and you know um, Laporte is the same age similar age he might even be younger but it's got all those things it's got those commanding attributes Van Dyke, of course does Van Dyke's got the ability to improve the people around him Don't, nobody seems to be better when they're playing with John Stones um I was at both of the games where he's had chances recently and disappointed the Palace game he looked fairly broken at the end when Palace got the equaliser I was at the Manchester United game where again he was um, he wasn't the only problem but you know he was a man supposed to be holding it together and didn't and I don't think this is a new phenomenon that's the I guess the point I would make about this is that the decline of John Stones and Pep Guardiola's loss of faith in Stones has been happening for a long time this is a player that since the 2018 World Cup has started less than half of City's games and he's only been injured for about four of those, I'm talking in the Premier League. You know, he's not even been in the squad for, I think, five of the last seven games or something like that. He, you know, he is he is in crisis in terms of his Manchester City career and um, he also looks like someone that's just lost his way a little bit. He's had, I think, off-field issues um, that have been documented in some of the tabloids. I don't know, any, I don't have any idea if they've played a part in, in his form on the pitch, but he certainly looks on the pitch like someone that's just lost lost their way a little bit. And I wrote a piece a few months ago saying that Stones is potentially the most important footballer in the country this year because him getting back to form um, would or wouldn't um, help Manchester City stave off Liverpool. This was, and, and his importance to England is massive and and what I sort of said in that piece is you know which John Stones stands up is going to answer a lot of the questions and I I think we've seen what's happened to Manchester City and I'd be worried from an England point of view um, if he can't regain some of his old authority because in 2018 he was fantastic let's you know that that player of authority and decision making that we we know that he can be we saw that in the World Cup he was absolutely outstanding 
and it's just odd how much he's he's fallen since that that sort of high point. Johnny, it sounds absolutely lovely in your garden, <laughs> by the way. Um, I thought it was at City Training, maybe. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> keeping tabs. Oh, no, not, not, no birds like that in Manchester, I can tell you. Um, Indeed. I do, I do wonder with the pet point, though, Alison, you've, you've talked about Virgil van Dijk. If you look at another England defender, Harry Maguire, I agree to an extent that you can't teach some of the things that you're talking about, but Stones played fewer than 100 games for Barnsley and Everton before he joined Manchester City. If you look at the likes of Maguire and Van Dijk, play for Celtic, Southampton in the Premier League, at a higher level probably than Stones, and mm-hmm. more often, Harry Maguire, I think, played you know over 200 games for Hull, Wigan, Sheffield United, Leicester. Some of the things that you're talking about, that ability to dominate, isn't, isn't that what you learn as you're, as you're playing and as you're learning the trade and being a centre-half? And isn't that something that your manager should be helping you with? I, I, I do think, I agree with your point that Pep has cleverly said, you know, he's got everything. But in a way, that's to me, that's almost Mourinho-esque in that, you know, <laughs> oh, well, you know, I can't do everything. I mean, you're meant to be Pep Guardiola. Like, you're, sh- can you not, should he not have been doing well, more he's not with gonna, But he's not, he's not going to do that at City. And, and in a way, you've answered your own question because but should he not Harry have been Maguire doing it in the last few years? Harry Maguire is allowed to do it out of the spotlight at a club which will absorb his mistakes. But when you sign a player much younger than that, do you not take on that responsibility that, that he would have had if he'd stayed at Everton, say, and played under some different managers or maybe moved up and then moved to City? Does Pep not take assume that responsibility of... That's, give... not, that's not Pep's style of management, though, is it? He, he thought... Pep clearly thought for that amount of money it was already there and that he Stones would be able to fairly quickly slot into a system. And he didn't. But he, at Manchester City, you do not learn through hard knocks. You, you, you either slot in or you don't. There's definitely a point about... Yeah, you, he, I agree on that. But he, there's also a factor here where, you know, one minute he was playing alongside company and he was the kind of the passing man. And then, you know, nowadays, as Johnny, you've mentioned him, Laporte, who is a much better passer. Mm. I mean, I would argue a good enough passer that he could be a number 10 sometimes. Mm. Um, so Stones then kind of assumes that I'm the Van Dyke figure, I'm the hard man, the dominant one. And, and he's never been able to learn either properly because he's played one role or another, depending on who he's alongside. I, I feel massively sorry for him. And I think England are, su- are going to suffer massively because of what's happened with him. Um and I also think he, because he was bought so young, he became a bit of a kind of symbol for the defender who makes the cock up when he's trying to play the ball out for the back. And lots of defenders make mistakes all the time, but John Stones gets referenced more than any you other. You cannot tell a player nor teach a player have an aura. You can't do that. You either develop it because you've got it or you haven't. I, I agree, but I'm saying that. that his development of that aura has been hindered by... Pep Guardiola and how he's been used so I'm saying I agree with you that you develop it yourself I'm not saying Pep gives it him but I'm saying <laughs> Pep has hindered his ability to develop that aura I, I think that aura and I think some of the things we're talking about comes from personality traits actually and, and I think there's there's one that you can teach which is concentration and I'm not sure his concentration's ever been good enough Carragher always used to talk about how stones didn't have that ability to smell danger, you know, that, that, that phrase they use. That's a concentration thing. And in terms of the, um, the, the, the aura, I think that comes from calmness. I think that comes from being um, sort of, you know, at peace. And, and that's, what, that's what Van Dyke's got as a person. Now, 
Stones, despite being this sort of, you know, composed on the ball kind of guy, has never quite had that. And I, I actually do wonder if that's just a personality trait that you can't teach, that, that is lacking. So I, I think there's two things. I think there's one thing that he could concentrate better, but he could also be a bit more calmer and authoritative as a person. And that second thing might just be something he'll never have. How, how are your herbaceous borders, Justin, <laughs> by the way? And, and shall we turn this into gardener's question time? Because I feel it would just be fantastic if you were to start talking about rhododendrons. Yeah, it's John well, Stones with a chainsaw behind you. <laughs> hearing everything you're saying. I, I, I'm sorry, yes. I, that's not me sort of taking a chainsaw to all the, the pretty flowers in my garden, by the way. That's, that's my... <laughs> That's my neighbour. That's good to it, it does sound as though, um, Alison, for example, with yourself, that you're, you're thinking his time at City is coming to an end. But in terms of where next for John Stones, he's only, what, 25, 26 at the end of May. There's still time for him to mature as a defender. Do you still see him possibly as an elite defender? Well, I, I think we're entering, entering catch-22 uh, territory for John Stones because... Say he goes to Arsenal and is reunited with Mikel Arteta, who, by all accounts, they got on well. And Arsenal have need of calibre defending. He would he would still be going, whilst you could argue that I'd be like going into a, a family environment that wouldn't be entirely alien to him, he'd still be going as the saviour of Arsenal's defence. And there would be a lot of expectation on him. And the way he is behaving at the moment and, and, and as Jonathan pointed out the lack of concentration that comes from nerves I think and trying too hard often because you, you're trying to think about too many things instead of just relaxing into your role you feel you've got a point to prove and if once you start feeling nervous or thinking about what you're going to do and it's not automatic because you're you're, you're in the zone it, it goes wrong for you so I think if you went with a burden of expectation to a big club such as Arsenal I don't I don't actually think that would help him I think that would just be another it'd be another spotlight of a slightly different colour but it would still be a spotlight and perhaps because as Tom very eloquently pointed out the defenders who are above him in the in the pecking order for England or are just considered good defenders in the Premier League have spent longer at clubs where they weren't you know that much in the public eye and they were able to learn their craft without too ma- too many people commentating on every single you know foot put where header put where it, it unless he unless he goes abroad i'd say yeah go abroad go abroad somewhere where they don't really care that you're uh, seen as a, a great english hope that's died they just see a decent defender go abroad and just just sort of start again Another turbulent week on and off the pitch for West Ham United. After throwing away a two-goal lead to draw at home to Brighton, they have banned a supporter who wore an anti-board T-shirt while acting as a flag bearer at the London Stadium. The season ticket holder Cameron Robson received a letter on Tuesday detailing how they believe he intended to incite the crowd ahead of their Premier League defeat by Liverpool. Robson had volunteered to wave a giant flag while the players walked out. And on the T-shirt that he was wearing, it had GSB out, Gold Sullivan Brady out slogan, which could be seen after he unzipped his coat. That's resulted in his ban. Tom, do we think he deserved that ban? Uh, no, but I mean, the the point about the ban is that it shows, you know, once again, an ownership completely out of touch with its fans. I mean, the West Ham owners make Ed Woodward look like a, you know, a loyal genius to Manchester United supporters. I mean, you know, we've seen this time and time and time again. You know, we had fans on the pitch in 2018 
you know, scrapping with Mark Noble. I mean, if you've got a West Ham fans prepared to do that, then they're very, very, very upset. And I mean, I argued with Gregor a couple of weeks ago that they would be safe, and he said that it's the off the field, you know, rouse and supporter anger that will undo them in the end. I still think they'll be safe, but it is remarkable how angry the fans are. I mean, one of my best friends is a West Ham season ticket holder, and he and his dad, you know, they still go, which you could argue that's where that's where it really falls down because they're still paying their money and turning up. But, I mean, they are so angry at how the club has been run. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if this guy's worn a T-shirt and is being banned, I mean, it just it sends, it tells you everything you need to know, really, about, you know, the ownership of the club, I think. I mean, is how important is it? Jonathan, for for owners uh, to have a relationship with fans? Or is it not important at all, actually? Well, I mean, football always comes back to results. So I suppose it's it's possible um, to have no relationship at all as long as the team's doing well. Of course it is. But it certainly helps if there's a relationship. I think if you, I mean, to to yet again, I suppose, take it back to Liverpool, which we're going to do at the moment because they're doing so well. But that's an example of a club that, has got a unity about it on and off the pitch, which that kind of virtuous circle that helps. That was certainly the case at Leicester, um, has been and probably still is. You can see it at Sheffield United, um, you know, all, albeit that their specific owners are fighting with each other and, and all that kind of stuff. But when there's a an idea that the, that the club is at one with the fans is what I'm trying to get at, that creates an extra energy in the stadiums and an extra energy for the team. And the opposite's happening at West Ham. It's it's a product, you know. Tom talks about the anger, and I think it's a it's an anger that's built over the years since the move. And and the the problem with that move was always going to be to wrench those supporters away from Upton Park involved selling them a dream. And the problem is always going to be if the dream didn't um, sort of come true, and it, it, it's far from coming true at the moment. They they raised expectations by splurging under Pellegrini on. Um, you know, quote unquote glamour players who have, you know, been like the bubbles. They've they've kind of um been shiny and bright and then they've burst and, and, and you know I'm thinking of Anderson and Yarmolenko and you know Lanzini, um Haller, um they haven't quite lived up to it. I think that's probably created um some of the anger as well. And you know, a few years on from the stadium move, they're now back to British players fighting relegation and um far from that kind of top six dream. So I don't quite know how they get that back, to be honest, how they get that trust back um, without swallowing hard and probably spending more money. And the one thing I think it is unfair to level at them is the money thing. They've they spent about £120 million in, in in the last two windows net. So they have put money in. They've just spent it badly. Um, and it's that's that in itself is not going to save them. The fans are probably need to spend more and, and I'm I'm not sure if they have the stomach for that. It's interesting, I had an argument with a friend about the situation at West Ham and he was saying, well, West Ham fans have this sense of entitlement for some reason. And I was arguing, well, the reason mm. they have a sense of entitlement is, as you pointed out, Jonathan, the promises that they've been yeah. given, the, the, the assurances that they'd be playing Champions League football. But obviously looking at the state of play right now, they're obviously nowhere near that. Nowhere near it. And, you know... <laughs> They've, they, you always compare yourself to people, and you know Spurs are suddenly in an even better stadium, miles better stadium, and and it's coincided with great years for them. They'll be looking at, 
you know, Leicester and, and, and why can't they be anywhere near what, what they're doing? Um, it, it, it feels like they've sort of slightly gone backwards and they've uh, on the pitch and they've lost that, that great thing that they had, which was, which was Upton Park. And, um, the, 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 the sort of, you know, there's a, there's a point where that, that sort of European dream is going to become almost laughable, uh, to think of, um, it's a it's a messy, difficult situation, really difficult one, and the short term things, sort of somehow trying to create enough unity or tolerance to to fight off relegation because if they go down, it's disastrous. We know, of course, that they have been monitoring what media outlets have been saying, so let's be a little bit careful. But Alison, do we think some of the problems at West Ham stem from too much attention being placed on things that happen off the pitch? I think they ha- they're a club that have big personalities at the helm. I've been talking to a lot of fans this week in preparation for a, a piece for the paper, hopefully, if I manage to sneak it in <laughs> past the lawyers. The, the significant thing I found, actually, because uh, sort of every 18 months or so, I, I do a splurge on a club and, and see what the mood is. It 18 months ago, it was all about, it was all about, how unhappy they were with the stadium. Lost our spiritual home, the the walk from the tube, various tubes to the ground is long and soulless and it's half and half scarves and no pubs and it's horrible, horrible, horrible. And you're miles from the action and you just very hard to get an atmosphere going. Suddenly, it's as though, it's not that they've accepted and are happy with the stadium, but that is not the focal point anymore. Mm -hmm. The focal point has shifted the anger has shifted to the ownership, which is why you saw the, um, the T-shirt with that slogan on it. The disaffected fans are thinking, well, well look, we've been lumbered with this uh, stadium which doesn't suit us and we don't like it, but, but why? Why has that happened? And who's behind it? And how, how as you say, Natalie, how is, how is it all affecting our team? And the fans would like, instead of having big personalities in charge of the club, they'd like a proper director of football for example they'd like people making decisions who know who know what football is about because because as jonathan says they're spending the money but there's no pattern to it there's no you can't say oh west ham have a certain style anymore you I, no single purchase makes any particular sense and the the, the players that uh, the fans like are players who through like Mark Noble, because he he so loves the club and has never ever stopped running. He he's you know he's he's ancient now, but he runs more than anybody else still. So they love him. But you are you you shouldn't really have to build a team around someone in approaching their mid thirties. And yet logically you probably should because he's the only player the fans have any connection with. They need somebody who can impose again an identity so that when you spend that amount of money and it is a lot of money, that you you buy players that fit into the system so you slowly climb the table. And a lot of fans are sort of quite accepting that they'll probably go down. They did they did try director of football. You, you know, I think they they he just didn't work. He just wasn't very well, good. A good I, one, I think. <laughs> no, exactly. You're right. But you're right, Alison. They, they, they've spent the money. They've tried to do it. I just think they've backed the the wrong horses. They they probably backed the wrong guy in Pellegrini and the wrong director of football in, in, in Husalos. And and that, that this is what they're left with. And what, what I, I'd just be curious. I know what the. I mean, I wait to read it, but what what the fans actually want out of the owners? Because while I think that Sullivan and 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 so on have been misguided and misjudged things, 
I think at heart they 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 you know they are people who have run football clubs successfully before. They've spent money. They've got a connection. Um, you know, I'm I'm just not sure what the what owners West Ham fans want. But I do get that this is so far from the rea- the the dream that and and the, the, the particularly the recruitment's been so bad that they want to blame someone. But I, I'm I'm interested to know do they want a you know do they want a, a sort of foreign owner to come in and and splurge or surely that would lose their um identity even even further well they're split i mean they're split on that you won't and that's mm. part of the problem in a way the the fan the fan disaffection uh, mirrors the club the way the club mm. is run because there are lots of different groups with different agendas and different levels mm. of anger uh the west ham independent supporters association they they really don't like the fact that Karen Brady is so busy doing other things and they think perhaps the club would be run better if there was a CEO who didn't mm. have a high profile, didn't make TV shows and just quietly mm. worked behind the scenes. Um, for mm. example, other fans are just embarrassed by the way that a Golden Sullivan tweet, you know, they don't they mm. don't want owners that do that. It's it's you'll mm. find different fans with different attitudes if you ask them what they do want they they, they don't actually want uh, a foreign owner unless they're you know got impeccable credentials i mean it's it could be a pipe dream in many ways that they would get someone better but while we are on the subject of it and, and tom you've already alluded to the fact you still think they're going to stay up and this is despite the fact that in their next two games they head to um, Manchester City and, and to Liverpool as well let's not forget they've also got games against the resurgent Southampton Arsenal with Mikel Arteta they've got Wolves Tottenham Chelsea oh, goodness me the list goes on really these are not easy end of season games coming up no, they're not, and I mean, my. And yet you still back them. I still there. back them, um, partly because I'm a stubborn man, and I said it two weeks ago, so I'm <laughs> going to stick with it until they're definitely relegated. Um, and Gregor won't let me forget it. I mean, I still think they've got players there in Mark Noble who can, you know, corral the rest of the squad into some big performances in those difficult games. And I mean, in my history of following football, West, this is what West Ham do in those games. They pull pluck a one nil win out of thin air and start a little bit of a run because they then do finish the season with Newcastle, Burnley, Norwich, Watford, Manchester United and Villa. So if they if they pick up some points and can get a little bit of unity back, even if it's just within the squad, if it's not within the fan groups and the ownership, then they will have enough just to stay up. And then they start that awful process of the summer comes and the big dreams come back and everyone starts thinking, what what will next season hold? And the cycle starts again. But I think they will stay up. Just. Jonathan, can you be as confident? No, I'd be. I'd, I'd mirror Tom actually. That that I, I I think they'll sort of do it. Um, they'll have to. I think they'll have to win one of those big games. Um, usually, your teams that stay up do kick the start themselves by pulling off the unexpected result. And and I think Saturday was a really sore one. And the the, the frustration for West Ham, I suppose, is that but for a VAR decision. They probably wouldn't have had this week's media coverage. You know, it was that, that's how thin the margins were. They'd have beaten Brighton and things would be okay. But okay, they didn't. That's left them. I think they have to win one of those big games, um, and they should have enough with with David Moyes' experience, uh, ability to organise, and some of the players that they've got. They you, you still feel they should have enough. Um, the worry for them, I suppose, is goals. 
but that's probably the worry for every relegation threatened team. Alison, can we complete the hat-trick? Are you backing them to stay up? Not really, no. I don't see how you can when Mark Noble, um, 33, was he nearly 33, is your is the player who covers most ground. You can't. I mean, you, I've, and I've seen every single other team play better than West Ham. I mean, Norwich, most people say they're almost cut adrift. I've seen them play brilliantly, often. Mm. Yeah. With pace. Yeah. Good side. So I don't, I just, I don't, I don't see enough in the qualities you need to just get by in the Premier League, West Ham don't don't just don't have them on the pitch. No but matter how good just, at organisation Moyes is. Yeah, but I just think they'll kind of they'll almost start their season now. They've had the turbulation and the mad signings, and they'll just start the season from scratch. And all these players will come out of the woodwork again. You know, your Snodgrasses and all those kind of people that, and the big superstars will be. But on they've the only bench. got one Snodgrass. There aren't more than one. It's <laughs> well, all well saying Snodgrass. They've got one if Snodgrass only. and He's one good. Mark Noble. He's good. That's all. That's all right. That's a start. There's only one. <laughs> As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We've got to give a special mention here on the pod to Barrow AFC today. 23 brave souls made the 740-mile round trip from Cumbria to Dover Athletic on Tuesday night for their non-league clash. Now, it started off well. The Barrow manager, Ian Everett, bought the 23 of them sausage and bacon rolls for the journey, which began at 10 a.m. for a 7.45 kickoff. But then things went wrong. With the game at 1-1, Michael Woods got Dover's winner with just two minutes to go to break the travelling fans' hearts. After getting on board the bus home, the fans then had expected to make a quick getaway in the hope that they might get home by around about 5am. Instead, they found out the player's coach had broken down, so the fans offered up space on theirs. The journey included a stop at the services, with the fans forced to wait on the coach, whilst the players queued for some fast food, some chicken fast food variety. Uh, One fan, 18-year-old Taylor Nelson, didn't get home until 7am and with no sleep went to college for a politics lesson. My goodness, that sounds like a bit of a nightmare journey. Anyone experienced similar? Tom, following Lincoln? Yeah, several. I mean, I only need to go back (laughs) about a couple of months to a trip that started on a Friday night and ended with me and my dad leaving Sunderland, having seen us lose 3-1. Uh, and been 3-0 down in about 30 minutes, including when our centre-half decided to duck a header, Ooh. only to watch the Sunderland striker waltz through uh, and score. Um, 
I, I mean, various nightmare away trips. I mean, I would just check that no one's from Mansfield and anyone's got any family from Mansfield. Yeah. I'm not going to... I mean, okay. I mean, you might offend some listeners. But oh, absolutely. On. I mean, that's. I'm getting a bit of a habit of that, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, I went to Mansfield on a Monday night to watch Lincoln. Uh, and let me tell you, it's not a place on a Monday night. Uh, and it included a, a walk back to my uh, little hotel room um, on the outskirts of Mansfield. You had to walk through the centre of Mansfield. Um, and it's a bit of a local rivalry. And it finished 1-1, thanks to Big John Akindi's penalty. What a legend. Um, but uh, I walked out of the ground and I kind of, I deliberately packed a different coat. So I was wearing a very brightly coloured little Mac over the top of my coat, took it off so as not to look, you know, if anyone had picked me out for a bit of a scrap afterwards, because there was fights kicking off all over oh. the place. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking through the centre of Mansfield and it's like a ghost town. The only thing you can see are police vans and, you know, a few sirens. Ducked into a chippy for some chips for the walk home. Walked out and I heard, Oi! And I thought, oh, crap. I'm either going to have to sacrifice the chips or get into a fight. Turned around and I'd just left my wallet on the counter. Oh. And uh, it was just a chip shop owner. So, so I mean, nice. Yeah, it actually. was a nice end to a rather scary, scary 24 built hours built it up Mansfield. and I'm thinking this is all going to end horribly, but it... So well, yeah, it ended with chips and a you know restored faith in humanity. <laughs> but I, yeah, I won't be going to Mansfield anytime soon. That's for certain. Right, Field Mill is ticked off. Don't need ticked to go off, there never again. again. Alison, come on, you must have had some nightmare journeys. I've traveling. got thousands. Go on. <laughs> Apart from, I mean, I'm podcast? sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we've all been on the M1 when it's closed, or the M62, or M whatever it is. But go on. What about your nightmare journeys? Well, most involve. Because I take my job so seriously. Yes, well like, done. All Alison. I care about is getting to the ground. I don't often think about how I'm going to get back. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, so that, it's, it's mainly my own fault, a lot of them. Although I've, I've been on team buses and they said, just don't turn around, don't look at us, just eyes forward, eyes forward. Cause I really? Get yeah. But anyway, the story I will tell is I was, um, I was eight months pregnant and I had to go to Ipswich from West London. And because uh, it was the first child had a has anyone heard of a Nissan ZX very sporty car sounds oh, fancy it, yes. was, it was it was it was it was one of those and um, <laughs> so I thought well I'll drive in my Nissan ZX to Ipswich because there were no trains back so I drove but I mean the traffic was abominable on the A14 roads I'd never heard of mm-hmm. never been on before <laughs> had no idea you couldn't just go on a motorway from yes. anyway so that was stressful enough. So I got to the uh, near the ground quite late, really, for me. I was thinking, where am I going to put the car? Where am I going to put the car? And there was a garden gate, and it seemed quite cheap, a fiver or something. So I pulled in, gave some random bloke a fiver, parked the car, waddled, because <laughs> I was eight months pregnant, waddled to the stadium. Uh, I'd arrived in the light, got to the stadium, um watched the game, did a rewrite, walked out the stadium. It's pitch black and very, very quiet. A bit like your Mansfield. I mean, some place, I mean, you, if you live in London, you forget how quiet yeah, it can get when you're not in London. Scarily so it was quiet. completely, it was quiet. And I hadn't a clue where I was. I hadn't, I hadn't made a little map. I hadn't thought, you know, turn left at the chippy or whatever. I, had, I just thought, where the hell have I put my car? Oh. And I'd remembered one, one, um, you know, point of, of marker I think it was a, a big advertising hoarding I was thinking maybe someone will know that advertising hoarding there's nobody around and except there was one police car going very slowly round a roundabout so uh, I stepped out in front of it and waved 
and I was evidently a waddly pregnant woman. And the police, the police just just did a sort of dismissive, get on with it, love. Wouldn't stop, <laughs> which made oh. me very angry. So it took me quite a long time of just wandering the streets of Ipswich. Eventually found the garden where I'd parked my Nissan ZX. Uh, but the gate was locked. Big, big gate was locked. And I thought, what do I do now? So I started hammering at the door. It's God midnight at this point. I'm hammering at the door. No answer, no answer. Eventually a window opens and billowing white smoke. They're all on drugs. Billowing white smoke <laughs> out the window. So Somewhat very pale face leans out and goes, oh. <laughs> I go, oh, my car, you've got my car. And it took a long time for them to understand what I meant by my car's in your garden. It took a long time. They came down, let, opened the door. It's freezing cold, by the way. The, the, the frost has just descended and my car is completely frozen over. But I want to get out. I just want to get out of this. So I, I get in the car and it's all frosted over. I shouldn't have been driving because I didn't, couldn't see anything. So I've got that little tiny inch window you make for yourself on your windscreen. And I'm hunched over and going very, very slowly. And then suddenly these women start throwing themselves on the bonnet of my car. As I'm driving through the red light district very, very slowly. So they obviously think I'm I'm looking for action. And I think, oh, this is a nightmare. This is a nightmare. So, But I can't run them over. So I have to keep going slowly. And eventually find a sign that says motorway. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really, someone might come and arrest me now because I'm admitting stuff. But I deliberately drove all the way home well above the speed limit because I wanted a police car to pull me over because I wanted to shout at them for no. not helping me out, oh. a pregnant woman out. <gasps> Have you been to Ipswich since? I was sent when they had that murder inquiry. Oh. <laughs> they wanted to know what it was like to be a woman reporter oh. during a murder inquiry. No. Yeah, very strange. Oh, and it was deserted then, surprise, surprise. Right, OK. That does sound pretty nightmarish. Um, Jonathan, can you better it? Not at all, no. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I've had lots of motorway journeys, for, you know, especially the M6 and the M1. It's been closed. I used to... My first two years of working for the Sunday Times in England, I actually was still living in Glasgow, so routinely would slog up the um, uh, the M74 back up to Glasgow after being at some some mad game. Um, but I suppose in terms of, uh, of being a fan, um, the last game I went to was actually, the last big Aberdeen game I went to was really properly grim in that it was um, League Cup final 2014. I was living in Liverpool at the time. We just had our... Um, our uh, second daughter um, and you know I was d- d- bereft of sleep anyway to start with but this was Aberdeen's first cup final for um, some time, hadn't won anything in 18 years, um, my cousin was going, who's by the way a, a mad Barrow fan and knows all the people that were in that feature um, <laughs> and that is a that's just a routine um, excursion for Barrow, their travelling's crazy but I remember going up to this game on a Sunday just shattered thinking what am I doing here um, getting to the, meet, meeting everyone in the pub couldn't have a drink of course because I had the car Getting to Celtic Park, you know, Celtic Park wasn't even Hamden, it was Celtic Park, which puts a slight down on things. Um, and just watching the worst game of football I've seen in my life, watching Aberdeen just full of nerves, trying to beat Inverness, Cali, who are our bogey team, um, who, you know, both teams are horribly defensive, nil-nil after two hours, 
barely a shot on target. Penalties came along and, you know, it was almost as if the penalties weren't even shots on target because there was such a poor penalty shootout as well. And Aberdeen just about prevailed. Um, and I, I just remember driving home, you know, we'd seen them, seen Aberdeen win a, a cup, just thinking, I feel almost nothing. I just feel numb by tiredness, nerves, um, sort of the feeling that I should really be at home with uh, with the baby and, and, and my family. And that sort of, you know, even in victory, just that futility, that feeling that you, football, you get as a football fan sometimes, you know, is this really how I should be spending my life? <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan, you've just failed the astronaut interview. The astronaut? What's yeah, that then? That's just the wrong attitude. You know, you're not someone I'd put on, I'd put on the moon. <laughs> Well, to be honest, oh. you've all failed the test because Barrow's fans, that was a harder, harder trip home for them than, than what you all suffered. Yeah. So, um, But what we well, should say about Barrow, very quickly, is first loss for, for them since the 26th of October. They are still top of the National League, seven points clear as well. Their next game is a comparatively short 550-mile round trip to Barnet on Saturday in the FA Trophy. Can I, can I add a little detail about Barrow? Please Sorry do. To... Well, just I learned this from my cousin because he, you know, as I say, travels with those fans. He's a head teacher, so he couldn't go to that particular game, but he knows them all. But he said that what that shows is an incredible relationship at the moment between the manager, Ian Everett, who people might remember playing for Blackpool, um, and the supporters. And it started when he arrived and he, Barrow's got a supporters trust, which, which basically has sort of saved the club. And the first thing Everett did was he appealed to the trust for a little bit of cash because he wanted to buy some GPS equipment to improve training for the players. So they they provided the cash for that. Um, and um, ever since then, there's, you know, him buying them the the pies or whatever was, you know, just part of the symbiotic relationship. And then the players going home on the on the supporters' bus. It's it's testament to what they've they've built. And you know, we were talking earlier about relationships between fans and and clubs. You know, it's no coincidence having the the best season. In, in absolute years and and you know it's a lovely feature in the times and, and it kind of shows that little special thing that's going on there at the moment yeah lovely bond that they all have okay it is time for us to finish this pod with a quiz <clears throat> david de Gea reached a personal milestone on saturday when he lined up for manchester united against wolves it was his 300th premier league appearance for united becoming the 36th player to make 300 appearances in the competition for a single club six other goalkeepers have achieved the feat of 300 premier league games for a single club so the question is can you name all six now i'm going to be kind i won't necessarily ask you to name all six but maybe we'll go round <laughs> and we'll eventually get to all six oh, come on we're Petty s- check Petty check okay well, alison's straight in there with well, one well, I that thought is it was correct. a team effort well, alison no no, no. She, didn't, she didn't want that alison. Oh, the competitive streak of alison just on? came oh. out there That's so alison has gone for, for check which is correct any but why don't you just all go for it go on then david seaman David Seaman, that is another one, Tom. Yeah. Well done, well done. We got that. Okay, that's two, so we've only got Peter four Schmeichel. more. No, he's not on the list. He didn't make 300 Premier League. No. Tim, Tim, Tim Howard. That's right. Yes, see, this is good. This is good. Well done, Jonathan. Yeah. UC Ascalina. Well done. Oh, that's oh, a good one. That is Get a good you. shout. That so makes only... it 2-1-1, one, one, by the way, just to... Yes, <laughs> it does. So, <laughs> two more. Brad Friedel. No, he's not on the list. Um, think... Nigel Martin. No. No, I'm Nigel going left fielder. Do you need a clue? No. No clues. No, no, no. Right, no okay. clues. David right. James. Nope. Nope. Joe Hart. Joe Hart doesn't make the list, I'm afraid. 
got to go. These two are. We're talking low, a smaller club or big six. Oh, Hugo oh. Lloris, surely. No, 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 no. Casper um, Schmeichel. No, no Casper Schmeichel either. No, we've got. Well, these two, these two are no longer playing. Oof. Um, goodness me, I think I peaked with UC Askelainen. That I? was that was good. Yeah. To be fair. Um, Alison, you've been very quiet since Petr Cech. Well, I, I, as long as I get one, I don't well, care. Well, you you're not allowing me to give you a clue. <laughs> okay, go on then. Go on then. I can tell you that both clubs, so there's two keepers, and both of them play for two clubs in the northeast. Oh. That's, that's just met with silence. That's not good for a podcast. So Come Newcastle goal. Newcastle yes. goal. Shay Given. Well done. Yeah. Tom is the winner yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah. So that's 3 1 1. See if I can get Okay, so that's Newcastle ticked off. Any oh, other? Uh, is it Butter? Mark yeah. Schwarzer. Mark Schwartz. Oh, I wrote down Schwartz. Come on, Sorry, give me a chance. Yeah, but we're working as a team, Johnny. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. But okay, you can be on my team. Well done. Alison started the competition. That is it. That's You've got them all right. That. So that the so to go with David de Gea, UC Yaskalin, and Shay Given, Tim Howard, Pedacek, Mark Schwartzer, and David Seaman. Just quickly, whilst we're on the subject of goalkeepers, then who would get your vote for the all-time best goalkeeper in the Premier League? Alison. <sighs> <sighs> Ooh. I've thrown that at you. Petacek, Petacek. Is that your only goalkeeping answer to everything? Yes. <laughs> You've like got pe- like, Petacek like, reflex like syndrome. I feel like it's Toy Story and I have one button. Oh, if in doubt, Petacek. Yeah. It's that or you're hoping that the answer is always going to be the capital city of yeah, yeah. Prague and what country? Czech No, but I, yeah. I, I, if you need me to justify it, um, he, his story's amazing, isn't he? The way he came back from cracking his skull and playing with that, yeah. that protective gear. And yes, probably he wasn't quite as brilliant afterwards, but he was still darn good. Mm. Okay. Tom? Uh, I probably would have gone De Gea until the last kind of 12 months. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, a goalkeeper's such a uh, fascinating position. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick someone who's kind of a bit of a journeyman goalkeeper. I'm going to go for Brad Friedel. Oh, uh, played at lots of different clubs. I think was quite underrated, really. Um, and I think quite often when he played against bigger teams, always put in a hell of a performance. So I'm going to go Bradford. Bradford for you, Jonathan. I think I'll go Peter Schmeichel just because um, that you know Manchester United defined the the early success of the Premier League. They built it, and and he was such a key figure. Um, he was pivotal to. Um, a couple of those early titles, of course, lifted the European Cup. And I think he still defines, you know, set the benchmark for what we think are goalkeepers. But I have to say, the more I watch Alisson, the more I wonder if that's actually the best goalkeeper. He's, he's incredible. Um, I've seen, so we might be, I might give you a different answer in a few, few years' time. All right, we'll remind you of that then in a few years' time. Jonathan, thank you very much. Uh, that is it for now. Thank, thank you also to Alison and to Tom as well. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Monday, so make sure you have a good weekend.
The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.